we're going to conclude this series, Built Together. And I, I entitled the wrap-up message, Joined in Truth and Equipped in Love. Joined in Truth and Equipped in Love. Now, it's interesting when we look at the grand design of how God in his own mind, how he meticulously decided to join the church and build his church. And what came to mind for me was a Swiss watch. And I don't know how many of you here are familiar with the, how they build Swiss, Swiss watches. If you are, just raise your hand. I, okay. I don't know how many of you in here have a Swiss watch. If you do, you have a Swiss watch. Wow. That boy got it going on. I looked at the price of a Swiss watch, and that thing ranged anywhere from, from $100, which is the extreme low end, all the way to thousands of dollars. Now, to the average Cajun in South Louisiana, who is going to pay $1,000 plus for a watch you can go to Wally World and get it for 12 <laughs> But see, people who believe that don't appreciate the watch because of the integral design, the meticulous work and care it took to create this watch. I want you to see this picture. Look at this thing. Look at how all of the parts, it, 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 they opened it up and dissected and pulled it apart. And every part, every little part, and, and I shouldn't use the word little because as little as those parts may be, each one of those parts play an integral function, a role in building of this finished product on the right. No part too big to where it's just as important or any part too small. And yet, when the man who builds this watch or the woman builds this watch, most of the creation of this watch in terms of how it was designed is completely outdated in terms of how they construct watches today. But those who could appreciate the design and the designer is willing to pay the price for the finished product. <laughs> Jesus was willing to pay the price for the design of the Father because he knew every part was, was a necessity for what he had in mind in building his church. So that when the world sees the finished product, they know it's been purchased. The Bible says you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So therefore, glorify God with your body. And so today, I wanted to show this picture because I want you to get the gist of the last two verses of this series. And so what I decided to do is just show this picture of this incredible design. But there's another picture. And God, I just thank God. Every man should thank God. Don't you, man, are you glad God always gives you what you really need? Yeah, Pastor Ben, you needed her. Vern, you needed her. Nadine, I needed you. And every man could say amen. Okay, I heard a lot of men over here. I didn't hear anything over here. I saw a woman say, you better say amen. I saw you, Victoria. Yeah, don't much get past me, girl. So I, I, I just want to stop and just say, Nadine, how much I, I appreciate how God meticulously designed you for me. Because I don't think any other woman could put up with me. <laughs> and I love you. But there was another designer, the first woman in my life 
Today is her birthday, and she's going to be watching the series, watching this message. So many of you have never seen my mom. This is her. This is my lovely mother. Yes, yes, today is her birthday. Gave birth to eight kids. Never worked a day. Well, yes, she did. Yes, she did. Yeah, I tell you, I'm sorry, ladies. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Oh, okay, this mess is already going south. It's already going south. I'm sorry, Pastor Ben. He said, no, he said, you on your own, buddy. But this is the lady that nurtured me and kept me in church. This was the lady that gave birth to this drug baby, me, because she drugged me to church every Sunday. I know some of you went, he was a crack baby? <laughs> and so I know she's seen this. Mom, I just want to tell you, love you, happy birthday, Mom. And I dare not say what our age is. But that's my mom, and I just want to just tell her happy birthday today. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs> so what have we been looking at for the last five weeks? Pastor Ben just did a, an incredible job of, of, of articulating the revelation that God had given to Paul in terms of how the church would be built together. And I think it was maybe 2015 or 2017, I think Pat and Miko, you were there, Nadine and I, uh, I don't think you guys were there, uh, Clyde and Teresa, the Cluches, when we decided we were praying for a theme for the marriage conference in, in Kenya, and we came up with Better Together. Y'all remember that? And we, had, we designed shirts better, and then the other shirt was together, and we kept wrestling over who should wear the better. Should it be the guys that wrestling? Dude, that is a no-brainer. The better belongs for the women. And, we, and the men, we just hold it together. Amen? And so we looked at the last five weeks of this incredible portrait of how God was going, has built his church and how it becomes a necessity like the watch that every part should fit jointly together. So I entitled it Join in Truth and Equipped in Love. Now, what did Paul show us in these past five weeks? What did he show us when Paul looked at the Ephesus church, the church at Ephesus? Two things that Paul showed us in these last five weeks. One, the body of Christ made up of all true believers growing gradually until, until it reaches full maturity. We're not there yet. Somebody say, I'm not there yet. And then secondly, what we saw in the last five weeks through Paul's revelation of the church is that the local church is not only a group of true believers that are gradually reaching maturity, but also that the local church of believers ministering to each other growing together, and experiencing spiritual unity. Those are the two things Paul wanted us to see in these five-part series, and we're going to wrap it up. Our text is taken from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16, and we want you to take a look at it. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. And who is the head? Into Christ Jesus. From whom, from Christ, whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, watch this, it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it, is, it builds itself up in 
love. So what I decided to do is I asked myself another question. Well, what kind of church is he coming back for? What, is that, what does it look like? And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 and 27, which we'll be getting to shortly, in context, this is talking about how a man should love his wife. But it's in reference to how Christ is going to present this bride, this church to himself. In Ephesians 5, 26 and 27, what kind of church is Christ coming for? It says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the, wa- the water by the word, so that he might present the church to himself and splendor without spot or wrinkle <clears throat> or any such thing that she may be, and here's the end result, that she may be, after this, God has sanctified her and cleansed her, be holy and without blemish. Now, when you look at this scripture, you're like, man, God, you got some work to do. There is a work that he has already done, but there are still yet things that he is doing inside of every last one of us, bringing us into the understanding of who we are. So today I want to take a look at four quality marks of a healthy, growing church. And these four qualities, marks, are going to tie in everything we talked about, Pastor Ben talked about in the last five weeks. Reduced them down to four. Yeah, you'll be out here because the saints playing at three. So <laughs> you'll be out here at 245. <laughs> Just kidding. So the first quality mark of a healthy, growing church, if, we, if the world were to look through the windows of the church, what should they see? What was God's purpose? What did we see and hear the last five weeks? Number one, the first quality mark of a healthy church is there is unity of their faith. They have unity in their faith. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6 says this, With all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing one another in love, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body. Somebody say body. One Spirit. Say Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through and in all. Well, you don't get no one than that. And he talks about this unity, a church that is growing in Christ, a church that is a healthy church, is a church that is marked by those who clearly understand there is only one Lord. I I made this statement years ago that it's going to be amazing when we get to heaven because there ain't going to be no east side heaven, west side, south side, north side. It's just going to be God's side. That's the only people going to get in there, those who are on God's side. And, if, and the church has to reflect the heartbeat and design of God so that the world who is struggling to try to figure out how do we do this, they should look through the windows of the church and says, okay, this is how it should be done because we've submitted ourselves to one Lord. And it talks about this humility with gentleness and patience. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 it, it, it tells us that Christ is our example of humility. And here is what it says. So if there be any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection 
and sympathy, complete my joy, and here it is, here's Paul's talking, complete my joy. How, Paul? By being of the same mind, having the same, having the same love, being in full accord and one in mind, do nothing. How do we do that? How do we be in the same mind? How do we demonstrate the same love? He says, being full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. It says, let each of us, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let me read verse 5 again because there's something I want you to see. Have this mind, one, unity, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Simply means that if you are on the outside of Christ Jesus, then considering others before you is not something we naturally are able to do. But it becomes the hallmark of every person that is in Christ because it is what we naturally do. It's like breathing. Right now, you are sitting in your chair breathing. You didn't need a manual to learn how to breathe. You're not taking a five-step program how to inhale and exhale. It is something you naturally are doing. And it's interesting that the minute I said that, you're going like... So being one is something that we naturally do because of not what's on the outside, but who is on the inside. Paul talks about this putting on of this new man in Colossians chapter 3 verse 14 because the old man can't walk this walk. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 14 and 15, he says this, and above all these put on, and here we go again, love. And what does love do? which binds everything together in perfect harmony. When you look at that watch, you see how each part has been placed strategically in that watch so that at the, when they finish the product and you wind that beautiful design, that watch up, you can feel it. As a matter of fact, I failed to mention this, most of the people who understand the design of the watch, who purchase it, they would rather have that watch simply not because appreciation of the design, but the way it feels when they feel the parts moving on their wrists. Now, I know what you're thinking. $12 at Walmart. <laughs> but only the people who understand the integral details can appreciate the product. Those of us who understand what it took to get to a place like this, where the world might be struggling with people who don't look like each other, when they walk into a place like this, you saw the screen. This was absolutely amazing. The world should have been here looking at this, these two guys in the kingdom doing kingdom work. The world struggles with it. So now Christ tells us that here it is, love, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. So what is the thing that brings this unity? What is the thing that brings this, this adhesiveness in the body of Christ? Love. Love. Without it, 
All you have this morning is a country club or a gathering of people like, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Um, have a wonderful day. And we get out of here and we go home. But there is something much greater that takes place when those doors open any given Sunday or Saturday or, or Friday or Wednesday. There's something magnificent take place because under the orchestration of the Holy Spirit and designed by God, love is begin to this is displayed to where when we see each other, it's like, dude, where you been? How's you been? We've been going. It's awesome. And we get to really just put our love out and say, God, I thank you for what you've done in me and through me. And so you get to share that with other believers. So the love walk becomes the nourishment by which all things are held together. So the first one was the unity of faith. The second quality mark of a growing healthy church that we've seen over the past five weeks is the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of Christ. A growing healthy church has a true knowledge of who Christ is. Why is that important? Because in every religion, they're saying something about Christ, but it may not be biblically correct. Jesus was asking uh, walking by the wayside and he turned and stopped and asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they gave him a plethora of answers. And he was like, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. Because, you know, he was trying to get to the one part that he was getting ready to ask him and said, okay, that's fine, that's fine. But I'm going to ask you guys, you've been hanging out with me, living, on, living with me, laying on me when sleeping and seeing the ministry. Who am I? Who do you say that I am? Peter Begin to reveal, thou art the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns and responds to him and said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father which is in heaven. And he said, it is on that revelation, not on Peter, but on the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. That he was going to build a collective body of people who will come to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. Far above every principality, far above every rule, far above every power. Christ is Lord of all. So the knowledge of Christ is another focal point that we saw in the past five weeks. And this knowledge is centered on the person and the work of Jesus. Paul called the good news, watch this, Paul called the good news concerning the person and work of Christ of first importance. Look at the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3, it says, Paul said this, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, but that he was buried... And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. What is Paul saying? He says, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with a whole bunch of goobly gop. I have no idea what that is, but it just came out. (laughs) But I came to you based on what has already been said and what has already been done. And when I came to you, I came to you to talk to you. Jesus Christ, the one who died, still not dead. But also the same Christ who died according to Scripture and was buried is now the Christ that has been risen according to Scripture. So what is the first thing we need to understand about a church that's growing and equipped well and healthy is that we have an understanding of who Christ is, that our Lord 
is not in some tomb and still there. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I. And so he, God raised him from the dead. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 2, Paul said this, Paul determined to know nothing among the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The identity of Jesus as the God-man who died for our sins and rose from the dead stands at the center of our knowledge of him. Let me read that again. The identity of Jesus as the God-man who died for our sins and rose from the dead stands at the center of our knowledge of him. Why is that important? Because if we understand that Jesus died, if we know that Jesus died, then we got to move to the next step. We've got to know why he died. And the why tells us that we were in a predicament. The why tells us that we were destined for eternal flames away from God because of our sins. Man has a, is, is a sinner by nature. We have a fallen nature. And when man fell in Genesis chapter 2, there was this need of a Savior to bring back to, as Pastor Ben says, to, to become the bridge over the chasm between God and humanity. And without that knowledge, it is impossible for us to even think or imagine what our life would be like after death. So the person and the work of Christ becomes important at a centerpiece of what we believe and why we believe. And we've seen it in the last five weeks. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 through 20 also talks about this knowledge of who Christ is. And it talks about the preeminence of Christ, how Christ is above all. They're not to be compared to anything or anyone else. Colossians 1, 15, verse 20, 15 through 20 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, including his church. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything he might be preeminent, set above, nothing compared to. I love this song, The Name of Jesus. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The hallmark, a quality mark of understanding a quality, healthy church, a growing, healthy church that we've seen in the past five weeks is our clear understanding of who Christ is. It is only our understanding of who Christ really is can we walk out what we have been called to do. Because it is not by our will that we do the things that we do, but it is by the will of God who brings pleasure to himself. Why do we do the things we do in this church? Not that it will bring pleasure to us. Not that we're trying to bring pleasure or glorification to living word. We do what we do because we are called to do it and it brings glory to Christ. That's why we do what we do. 
the preeminence of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, Paul brings an incredible revelation to those in the Corinthian church, and Paul began to defend his ministry. In chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, and here's what he says. Anything that is, that is a casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the true knowledge of God, what do we do? Bring it into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Again, casting down imaginations. Interesting, the small word in the word imagination is the word image. Image is erected in the mind. He says when the enemy or false doctrine tried to cast or erect a, a picture, a wrong picture of who Christ is, he calls for the true knowledge of God to cast that thing down. But you can't cast down something you don't know it's wrong if you haven't seen what has been true. And then once we cast it down and to bring it into captivity, every thought, what? To the obedience of Christ. What do you mean the obedience of Christ? The truth of who Christ says that he is. To the Muslims, who is Christ? Just another prophet. The problem with declaring that Jesus is just another prophet is that you see no divinity in his life. And if you don't see him as divine, or being the deity or the son of God, then there is no need to search and run after him for your salvation. That's an interesting and very interesting situation to be in. God's righteousness can only be found in Christ through faith. God's righteousness can only be found in Christ through faith. Philippians 3.9 tells us this. When we talk about the righteousness by faith in Christ... And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in the sufferings becoming like him in his death. Now, I, I love the latter part of this. It says, from God depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Stop right there. There's a lot of Christians want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. That's, man, that, that's, that's what I want. Give me the power. But what you're missing is the second part. You can't have the power without a resurrection. And there could be no resurrection without a death. So if you want the power, there must be some dying in order to be resurrected to get the power. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. You see, one of the things we need to understand is that when we have this walk in Christ, there has to be a relinquishing of what you think you should be doing in your life. There has to be a letting go of what you're designed for your life because Christ says that I paid the price for you. And it's interesting because I know the plans I have for you, but it is only in Christ that this righteous standard can be lived out. What is God's righteousness? That is revealed in Christ, his righteous standard. The Bible tells us there's a way that seemeth right to a man. It only seems right. But the end of that leads you to death. So the righteousness from God depends on faith, Paul said, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 
How do we become like him in his death? We simply say, Father, Jesus, it is you that I exalt. It is you that is to be glorified in every aspect of my life. It is you and you alone. Because when people see you, do they really see you? Or do they see the Christ in you? I love, I got, I got to keep going back to that testimony with Brother Terrell when he was in the hospital. Because of the Christ in him, the doctor gave him a 2% opportunity to still survive this. But what the doctor didn't know was how much Christ was in this man. And so when he heard 2%, the Christ in him rose up and gave him a word, that's all you need. The 2% is not the small part. It is the big God in you that will deal with the 2%. Don't worry about the other 98%. I got this, man. I will be glorified in the 2%. And that other man sitting there looking healthy and fine. And I know his wife would agree with me. Little becomes much when you place it in the Father's hands. Stop worrying about what you don't have, what you didn't get, how far you should have been at this stage in your life. I'm telling you, as long as you're walking in Christ and you are doing what God has called you to do, sometimes there will be dry seasons in your life. But God will take those dry seasons in your life to perfect you. He will take those dry seasons of your life to shut everything down so you can hear him clearly. Sometimes the noise becomes too too loud, Michael. Sometimes he's got to pull you in the backside of the desert so he can talk to you. Do not despise the small, quiet times of your life because it is there Moses found God in the wilderness. I've learned this a long time ago. When things are going in reverse, I put the brakes on. I don't try to mash on the accelerator. I don't try to manipulate the steering wheel. I take my hands and say, Lord, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. You know why I say that with confidence? Because I know everything that I'm going with caught me by surprise, but it didn't catch him by surprise. So if he knew this was coming, he already worked out the details. I don't know who this is for, but it's for somebody. He's already worked out the details. Hallelujah. The third thing we've seen in the past five weeks, the third truth of a healthy, growing church is doctrinal stability. Doctrinal stability. I don't know how many of you remember the situation that happened with uh, David Koresh in Waco, Texas. How many of you remember that? Yeah, yeah. How many of you remember the tragedy that happened in Jamestown, Guyana with with Jim Jones? I mean, you remember seeing that. You see, one of the things that, and I thank God for where he's got this church and what he's doing in Pastor Ben, and this becomes crucial today with all of the false doctrines and stuff that people are saying the Lord told me when God didn't tell them. Because anytime God speaks to you, he will speak to you according to what is already said. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. And too many times we run and pay good money by train, plane, boat, go to go find the next greatest revelation of God. If you want a revelation, open up the book and say, Father, speak to me through your word. And that don't cost you nothing. You can go get up right there to the table and open up his word. If you want to hear from God, open the word. He'll speak to you. I don't have a problem with going to conferences. I love going to conferences. 
But too many people build their lives on one e- weekend event and try to live that one event out, and then once the event is over, it's over. And you're back to square one. And guess what? You get up, and guess what's sitting on your table? The very thing you should have been opening up in the first place. Okay, let me move on. <laughs> Doctrinal stability. This is what Pastor Ben showed us through the lens of Paul when he was looking at the church and how we should be built together. How are we built together? How does the church grow? Doctrinal stability. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 14. Watch this. This is what he said. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. For what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the body of Christ. Verse 13. Until what? We all attain to the unity, there it is, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, To a what kind of man? Mature man. So now, what does a mature man look like? To the the measure and the stature of Christ? So that, here's the end result when you come to be a full mature man based on the truth of God's word. That you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He says, when you are built up in God and you're walking in maturity, you can spot a lie a mile away. You imagine, I've been in church all my life. I've seen some things come and go in the kingdom. I'm like, oh my God, this one don't need to, God, this this will need to blow quickly. (laughs) Please blow on this and let this be gone. Only that which is from God is going to be eternal. And we can't base our lives as believers on the next greatest fad because this church is doing it or that one or it looks popular because we're going to talk a little bit about at the end how this thing looks and how it should function. No longer being like children being tossed to and fro by winds and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cutting, by, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Jude says it like this when he talks about the judgment on false teachers. Here's what he says. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's what what we're doing. We're contending for the faith that has been delivered to us by Christ Jesus through the apostles and through his word. Now, I have eight things I want to talk about. Just just give you a list of what I call the untouchables. The untouchables, doctrinal stability. There are a lot of things that we will not agree on, you know, because of convictions. There are a lot of things we want. But I, I believe that these untouchables becomes the centerpiece of the body of Christ, that you don't touch them. They are the truth. They stand in, in terms of who God is and who Christ is. Number one, here's one of the untouchables, the Trinity. The full deity and full humanity of Christ. This was brought up in the last five weeks. Virgin birth. The atoning death of Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. The bodily resurrection of Christ. The promise of his future return. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let me say it again. 
Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I know that is offensive to other religions. But you need to understand you need not worry about offending them because you didn't write the letter. You only delivered it like the mailman do. And another one of the untouchables, the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. A lot of people say that the Bible has flaws to it because it's written by flawed men. They had been in the book to understand who God is. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God breathed. God literally downloaded the Holy Spirit into man's spirit and began to move and write what God gave. How in the world can you get this to happen where Isaiah wrote 700 years about a suffering Savior where he himself would not see the reality of what he wrote had it not been for God revealing it to him. And it happened the same way he wrote it, just word for word, the way he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of a peace was upon us. And with his stripes we are healed. No nation had ever talked about wounding and piercing until the Roman Empire came. This was 700 years before. Only that can be orchestrated by God. And then finally, number four, the fourth quality mark of a growing church that we've seen in the last five weeks of this series, we wrap it up, is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is ahead in Christ. There's a statement that says, truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. You know, it's interesting that... Children are unable to understand that because their understanding is that if I really love someone, I'm not going to tell them truth because it's going to hurt them. But at the same time, if you love someone, then you will tell them the truth. One of my most favorite movies was A Few Good Men. Y'all know the line. Should I give it to you? Here was Tom Cruise pressing Jim uh, uh, Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, wrong Jim, Jack. He was pressing him to give him the truth, give him the truth, you know, about the death of Santiago. And bro, he was drilling him. And, and, and Jack Nicholson got upset because this little, in his mind, this wimp had the nerve to arrogantly press him. And he says, I want the truth. You want the truth. You want, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> now, I don't know if that face I was able to get away with as the Jack Nicholson. Everybody on the side of my voice want truth, but you can't handle the truth. If you love me, you wouldn't have said that. I said it because I love you. Now, it's not so much what you say, but sometimes how you say it. So I just want to clarify that. Amen. The church of the living God has its foundation in truth. 1 Timothy 3, 14, 15, I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of truth. 2 Timothy 2, 4, 2, 24 and 26 says this, when we take a look at it. When we look at it, it says, A servant of the Lord must not be quarreled, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. <laughs> Why did they put that in there? <laughs> Gentle, 
instruct those who oppose them, oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devils. The devils. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Gentle instructions of those who oppose your truth. And it's been interesting. I've watched a little bit of the Kavanaugh hearing. I ain't going to go too far because I'm about to close. You know what I've taken from this? And it is a scary place in our country right now. Where have we gone when disagreement means I hate you? We used to be able to agree to disagree. But that's not so with the environment and the country by which we live. And as I turned the TV off because I had enough of it, the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart. And he says, it's not going to be long before the people standing at the highest power of the seat will be those of us who believe in the truth of God's word because we disagree. Because we disagree with them and they have to agree with this. Bible commentary John Stott says, truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love and love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. So Paul tells us there must be a delicate balance between the two. There was a term that's not an English term, but it has come to understand as a verb. It's called truthing. What is truthing? Truthing in love is both action and spoken. It helps the body to grow and are held together with love as its nourishment. Not only do we need to speak truth, but we need to live that truth out. In Ephesians chapter 4, 16, as we close, it says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to close you with three statements. The growth of the church is not the result of some clever method but every member of the body fully using their spiritual gift and close contact with every believer. Second, Christ being the source of life and power and growth of the church, which he himself facilitates through each believer's gift and mutual ministry, enjoying touching others in the body of Christ. And third, the power in the church comes through individual believers and our relationship between one another when Christ is at the center. We don't devise schemes and plans to make the body of Christ grow. We simply realize who we are in Christ, function the way he designed, and leave the rest to him. And he will make it grow. He will add to it at the church as such need to be saved. Please stand to your feet. Father, we thank you. We love you. Grand was your design for your church. Jesus, you bought and paid the price as a ransom for sin, but you bought this church with your blood. And now we're on the other side of the cross. I ask, Father, that these five or six weeks 
Let it not be just about information, but let us grow thereby. Let us function according to your design. That every time we look at the word of God, we see your face. Father, convict our hearts when we live out our lives that is in not accordance to the truth of your word. We don't want to conform to this world or this culture, but we ask for transformation. May our minds be renewed so that we can prove what is the perfect and acceptable will of God for our lives. Continue your sanctifying work in every believer. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you for your grace. Father, we love you. We honor you and we bless you. And as we leave this place and step into our mission field, may we live truthing, speaking the truth in love and living that truth out. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.